Amen. All right. Well, today we've got Mike. He's going to come and share uh, a little bit more on his message about selfishness. Has that been a good one? Did you fall off the wagon this week <laughs> during Christmas? It's opportunity for children, that's for sure. Oh, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. Yeah, I know. That's how daddy is sometimes, too. So, amen. Well, thanks, Mike, for sharing again today. Are we on? Hey. I'm going to read a scripture here first. It kind of ties in with radical. It ties in with definitely with keep your love on. And it ties in with really how we should live. Uh, Danny Silk talks about connections and relationship. Being radical, being in relationship and having connections in our day and age is a radical thought transfer. Because most people go home, think nothing of the world sit inside, watch all their TV shows, and don't give thought to what's going on outside of them, except for what they have going on. Here's what um, Proverbs 18.1 says. Now, I said that, that in the we context, meaning me as well. Because here's what I've realized, is the more that I come into, and, and you will too, as you come into the calling that God has got for you, and we really are to go after people, we're to love people, we're to be in relationship. The selfish part of you says, I want nothing to do with people. Because you realize that the radical thought that Jesus is trying to get us to do is to wring our life out like a wet rag and to get all the water to get everything out of that wet rag you have to squeeze it and you have to twist it and drain and suck everything out of it and that's what God wants our life to be but we just don't do it do we including myself Proverbs 18.1 says he who separates himself seeks his own desire, and he quarrels against all sound wisdom. <laughs> See, one of the things that I've learned is I really start digging into the Word, and we all want to get up, we all want to preach, we all want to share messages, but I realize that the deeper and the farther you go, the harder and harder this thing gets. All right, it gets harder and harder to not only just preach these messages, or even harder and harder to put them together because it so goes against even some of the grain of who I am, it gets harder and harder to live them out because our life gets under a microscope. And if we can't practice what we preach, no one will listen. And if no one will listen, then people will not be saved. And if people aren't saved, they don't come to know the good Father which is really what this is all about. I can preach a hundred messages on selfishness and a hundred classes on radical and keep your love on, but if we don't do it and we don't apply it and we don't wring ourselves out for the gospel, for Jesus, it will amount to nothing. So, um, I will be teaching evangelism class. And it will teach us, hopefully, to be unselfish. 
And again, even the more I dig into it, the more you dig into it, we realize that we get freed from selfishness, but it still attacks us. And we still have to fight our flesh and not be selfish. So if you want to learn about evangelism, getting out on the streets, doing it a different way, um, viewing people how God sees them, learning how to talk to lost people and people in the world. Because again, I said this before, we don't do a good job of that. We don't do a good job of just holding conversation and loving on people where they're at without thinking within the first minute, how am I going to change this person? How am I going to fix them? Well, they're messed up. You know, I heard, I was talking to a buddy of mine. I used to go out to Hospital Heights and he would minister to people and he would just be their friend. He actually lived there. And he told me stories of how he just sat there beside people as they were shooting up, as they were drinking, as they were doing whatever it was that they were doing. But he loved on them. He could hold a conversation with them and love on them without having to push them. Now that's a radical thought, that you could stand there in their filth and love on them. See, that's what we're supposed to do. We go into the darkness to shine light. So sign up, please. It's $30. You'll learn a lot and we'll do it together. And it's going to be fun, and we will see lost souls saved. Amen? So let's uh, dig into this message here a little bit. How many of you have been challenged by this, as Tom said? Do Do you realize, or at least I have, that the farther we get into this, the more that we realize that our life really does boil down to everything that we do, are we going to be selfish or not? Now, I've had some instances here that where, as we learn to be unselfish, we can start to view people and thank people different. We can even view the situations that we're in or the things we go to buy or the things to do. Well, I really, we was with Clayton and Letitia last night, and I joked around with him. He was looking for a new pair of shoes, and I said, well, you know anybody else that needs a pair of shoes? Now, that sounds silly, but really, all of us in here have everything that we need. One of you is going hungry. You all have clothes on your back. Every one of you are going to go home to a house that, has, that is dry, that has heat. And if it gets hot, it gets cool. And every one of you have something in your refrigerator. But we're always thinking, Tom touched on it earlier, we're this God right here. Because we like how it makes us feel. So anyway, let's recap a little bit. Let's wake up. Let's pray first, okay? How about that? And let's do it this way. If you have your heavenly language, if you have your prayer tongue, let's just pray in tongues here for a couple minutes. And let's just, because you can feel even during worship, there was a heaviness, there was a, there was a sluggishness, there was something that we brought in that we just really need to get past through. Amen? All right. All <laughs> Santiana mana conchonta basaka chele mano sundo bole telia bainde le belle kitena mano uso cholobo cantene mene alla bala ondolo bolo cochono somba la bacele bellia tianda basondolo bocute mene le belli andala bolo contolo boli andia la bala sanchene mene chicene mono mosontolo bolo cotele bandiana mano so conchono
Father God, we just thank you that you are a good father. Holy Spirit, I thank you that all your gifts are present. Holy Spirit, that you will touch my tongue, that you will touch our ears, you will touch our heart, that only the words will get spoke which you want spoken, that they will reach and dig deep into our hearts, that they will dig into the soil of our soul. Lord, that nothing will come in and steal these seeds and that you will continue to grow us up, that we will be mature, that we will be lacking nothing, Lord, that we will be radical and we will be selfless and we will get over selfishness and we will serve and love you to the best of our ability. Amen. Okay, so we talked about selfishness. Let's recap here a little bit. Let me get down. We talked about selfishness. Selfishness is being concerned with one's own interest above the interest of others, sometimes without caring about the consequence. It's also building up oneself while tearing down others. And we talked about how this looks like with even in the church because I believe what I'm supposed to do as I preach messages and I share is not just preach to myself, about myself, or even about my family. But we need to address the church, New Covenant Worship Center. So as we, as I change, as you change, and our families change, then our church changes, then we can go outside and we can affect a community, and the community can change. If we can't change our church, or we can't change our families and be unselfish in that respect, the community won't get what it is that we need that God wants to push through to offer to the community. Amen? Okay. So what's it look like here in the church is selfishness. We talked about having place or position within the church. We talked about sometimes what we consider holy um, competition, meaning, all right, Alex, say hypothetically, okay, Alex sins and he cheats on his wife or whatever, all right? What happens is when we hear that, we think some of us can go, oh, I got to pray for my brother, but that's my... I can, I can get right in his spot. He was going somewhere and, and God was doing something in him. But now I can advance because he is not advancing because he's sinned and he's been held back. That happens in this church. I've done it. I've had friends in this church years ago as, we, as they come and they go and we do things that you think, oh, wow. Yeah, he messed up. Now it's Mike Brown's turn to jump in and, and here I am. Use me because he messed up. It happens. Hold on here. I keep losing my, my stuff here. All right. Or we hear somebody preaching like myself, or we hear Eric or Tom, and we think, well, I should be doing that. Or I can do that. Or I could have done a better job. Or I could have preached a better message. Or I know more about that issue than he does. Why is he preaching on it? We have a disregard and a disobedience to authority. Now, I'm going to stay here for just a second. My trust is in God, correct? So if I believe God placed me here at this church, New Covenant, and if I trust God, and God says in His Word several times that I am to honor and obey authority, then I trust the authority above me because I trust God. And I trust Him enough to believe that what gets delivered from this pulpit is something that I can eat and devour and use and bring me nourishment. And I can trust God. I might mess it up. Tom, Eric, Shelley, whoever is up here preaching can mess it up. But if my trust is in the one who gives the word through him, then I'm still going to receive nourishment. I'm still going to get something. And I can still obey my authority, even though I might not agree, because I don't 
my trust is not fully in Tom, but it's fully in God who has placed him here. And then I can follow that authority and know that if he messes it up, still God's going to do something with it. Does that make sense? I, uh, I can or could have done a better job or disobedience to authority. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to help clean the church. I'm, I've been here five years. I got a good word in my heart. I'm going to, I need to be preaching, not cleaning. I started in the children's ministry in Camp Grizzly. You guys have plenty of opportunity to share and get into Camp Grizzly, into the nursery, into the bounce house. Amen. If we look at it, yeah, amen, Sean says. Here's what we need to do. We need to have a radical shift in selfishness to believe that that's not just a babysitter's club to play on our phones, but it is a ministry opportunity. Amen? amen. I think I heard a few ouches too, but that's okay. <laughs> but we need to look at it as that. All right, and focus and pay attention to what's going on and love on some of these kids who might not get love from somebody else and be looking. All right, God, I'm back here. Use me. And somebody gets hurt and you get a few minutes. What if you stopped doing all that and you looked at bounce house as a ministry opportunity and little kids started getting saved in the bounce house? But see, we're, wow, I didn't, didn't plan on going there, but we're doing so much other stuff that we're thinking, I want to go to Los Amigos and this is what I'm going to get. And I wonder who wants to go eat with me and all this kind of stuff, and we're not focused on what God is doing wherever we are at. All right. Keep going, Lord. Okay. All right, so that's what it looks like here within, within our house, okay? Uh, and there are several ways I'm going to get to here at the end of this, all right? I'm going to address some practical application of some things that we can do to get over or to at least work on selfishness. Because here's the thing with this. I'm going back to some other notes I've got. The spiritual part we can get over, and I've been freed, and you can be freed from the spiritual aspect, the demons that come after you from the supernatural side of selfishness. But you will always deal with the flesh and selfishness, correct? We talked about that. That was one of our recaps. So fleshly, we can't say, flesh, get out and leave me alone. We can't. We, we got to die daily, crucify ourselves, and be looking for opportunities to not be selfish. Okay. All right, I got you. So we talked about how part of the problem is we need to uh, show grace. All right. Now, we also I talked about how I tied grace in with welfare and how sometimes we have a problem with grace because we have a problem with the welfare system. And welfare says you get something that you don't deserve because I work for it. Correct. Comes out of my paycheck, my taxes. You got more food in your refrigerator than I do. And plus you get this and you get help with your house and your electric bill and all this stuff. And we gripe and complain. Well, God, you know, or people or Chris, you won't believe that, you know, so-and-so is doing this and that. And my tax money pays for that. I've heard it in here. I've said it. Okay. But isn't grace and welfare similar in this aspect that we get something and the benefits of what Jesus did. Jesus did all the work, but we receive the benefit. Am I right? Which is what welfare does. Somebody else works and they get the benefit. But what happens is we've, we've got so much problem with that. We have a problem receiving grace and then we have a problem giving grace. Thank you for all those who have showed me grace. 
because about everybody in this room has. Thank you. I appreciate it. I need it. I'm going to need more. So we have to keep doing it. Grace says you don't get what you deserve, but it also says you get what you don't deserve. Does that make sense? See, I get the benefits of the Father because he was unselfish, sent his son who was unselfish, and then I get the benefit. You do as well. Okay? We following? We still good? Yes, good. All right. I'm going to do my best not to go very long, okay? So pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> hallelujah, brother. Yeah, hallelujah. All right, so let's start with this. So I've got several notes here. And what we're going to do first is we're going to start with, um, again, in this, we are an equipping church, right? All right, so what happens as I prepare a message is I go through my notes and I send them to Tom and Eric. And they look at them and they send them back and they give me, you know, some thought. Well, maybe this, that, or, hey, Mike, this is good, but what about switching this? Now, have they preached more messages than I have? Yeah. Okay, have they been doing this a lot longer than I have? Should I probably listen? Yeah. Is it wrong that they want that? No. Because when Janessa shared up here in the Word, she was prepared for like four months and was going back and forth with Brian. Correct? Where are you at, Brian? Is he in here? He's in the bounce house, doing bounce house ministry. Amen. He's not babysitting. But she went to him and went over notes and was contemplating and doing this and doing that. There was counsel that took place. She didn't do what Proverbs 18.1 says. She didn't seclude herself, but she put herself into the process. And was it not a good word? Yes. Did she do a very good job? That was amazing. I could listen to that over and over again. I was very proud of her. So we submit that stuff, and guess what? As I lead the young adult group and they want to share, then they're going to submit their stuff to me, and I'm going to look at it, and we're going to talk. Probably Tom and Eric's going to look at it. So there's a process, and in that process, I have the choice to be selfish or unselfish. Because when I got some response back, oh, that's great, and then he's telling me, well, maybe you should do this or that. My first initial thought was, well, dang, I thought it was pretty good. Why don't we just leave it the way... <laughs> But do I give myself unselfishly to the process? Do I trust the leaders that are above me and trust that God is doing something in them which can come to me, which can then go out to you? So I I'm going to have to look at both so I can kind of switch things up. Because as you bounce ideas off each other and you become unselfish and you receive what somebody else gives to you and you eat it and you marinate on it, it can turn into something really good. So I took some of his ideas. And here's what we're going to do first. We're going to jump into how do, unself, how do selfish people think. Is that what I said? You can respond back. You can help me out here. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. How do selfish people think? Let's go to 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 4. Can you pull those up for me? Is that you, Chad, that's back there? Ah, here we go. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Next one. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous. That's a good one. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. Treacherous rash, 
conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, that kind of tells us a lot about how, how selfish people think. I'm going to give you some more notes to write down here. Come on. All right. So I put some modern English to some of this. Selfish people don't think about the consequences. They don't think about the cost. Think of your kids. The things that they do. How they act. Think of how we've acted in the past. Well, I want that. And I'm going to get it. And you don't think about how it affects you and others. One of the things I used to tell the youth and I tell the young adults now is that every decision that you make affects people you know. And it affects people you don't know. Correct? It affects both types. Selfish people think, I want this now. What about me? What about me? What about this? How can I get the most for the least amount of work? I don't care. I just don't care. I see that a lot on Facebook. They want stuff over relationship. Selfish people. They want material things over the relationship. They are concerned with who is right or wrong. And they always seek justification. Now, we'll spend a minute here because we confuse this sometimes with saying, oh, well, he's just got a high justice anointing. All right. I understand that. My son and my daughter have a high justice anointing. They want you to know what they did and why they're in the right for doing what they did, even though they were wrong. But yet we and we see this throughout the church and we say, well, he's just got a high justice anointing. He's got a high justice calling. Well, if you were I'm losing my notes here. Come on. Help me out here, Lord. If you are unselfish, keeping your love on or you want a radical turn to that when you're in a relationship, let's okay, with my wife, we'll use her for a great example. Okay, we get into an argument now. We get into some stuff, and then I hear her and McKinley get into some stuff. And what's one of the things you always tell McKinley? Why can't you just say, okay. okay. We get in these arguments, and we're like, McKinley's always got to have the last word. Unselfish or selfish people have to have the last word. They're always thinking, they're not even listening to what you're saying, because they're always thinking, oh, oh I, I got... Mm. I can't wait till he shuts up because I got a great comeback. (laughs) All right. Selfish people think that way. All right. So we get into this argument and what happens is I become more concerned with, I got to be right and I got to prove you're wrong and I need justified. And I'm not even thinking about the consequences of what it's going to do to our relationship now or two days down the road or in three months, because women never forget nothing. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say that. But I'm not even thinking because I'm so empowered and passionate by I'm right and you're wrong that I can't even say, okay, okay. Or she can't say, okay, or probably so, bummer. 
too bad. Yeah, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> you know, all those good ones. But see, selfish people are ready. To, they're not even listening. We're ready to react. We're not thinking about the consequence later on down the road of what's going to happen. Now, even though that's funny about the women never forget thing, it is still the truth. So we can use that as something good to think, oh, maybe I better stop before I go on in. All right, let me see where else we're at. And then we're going to get into some of the people that acted this way in the Word. They get jealous. Selfish people get jealous a lot. Okay? And not just of husband and wife issues, but in friend issues. Or, let's use this, we get jealous because so-and-so gets to do something that I think I should do because I've been at the church longer. That's jealous. And it gets in and it's selfishness and it eats us up. Uh, selfish people keep score. All right, now I did get some of this from the love, the love chapter. But as I was reading and studying this, and that's what I was talking about earlier, when the more you get into it, you realize, man, it just, it's like the Bible and the word grows. It's like, where did that come from? I never seen that. I never thought that. I never put that with this. And it's just all one big living organism. And it comes together. But jealous people keep score. How many of you keep score? Oh, come on. How many of you are going to be honest? We keep score. All right. So let's look at some people from the Bible. All right. Because what it is, is when we get up here and we share and we give our personal experiences and we share what God is giving to us, it needs to correlate with what the word is saying. Agreed? Need to have some biblical backing, some verses. But also, what's amazing to me, as well as we get in, we read these stories of people and these people act just like me. See, the word says there's nothing new under the sun. So that means there was somebody like Tom 4,000 years ago. And been there and done that. There was someone exactly like Sean and Charlene or Rob. Somebody that was going through the same stuff. And it's in the word somewhere, I guarantee it. If you'll dig in and you'll get into it and you'll find it. And we're going to do that in the evangelism class. We're going to talk about the love of the word and the love of the gospel and getting in to, to be empowered. Let's look at Ahab first. Now, I wanted to address him because one of the things we deal with within this church is a Jezebel spirit. Amen. But do you know Jezebel only works with an Ahab spirit or only they work together, not only, but they work together. So that means in order for the Jezebel spirit to be alive and working and going, that Ahab has to be present as well to allow those things to happen. I can see people going, hmm, I never thought of it that way. So here, let's look at Ahab. Ahab, his selfishness led him to be concerned about things before he was concerned about people. Again, really selfish people think about stuff over people, over relationship. King Ahab, covered, King Ahab coveted, coveted Naboth's vineyard and pouted when he couldn't get it. Selfish people pout. Ain't that right, Clayton? <laughs> Ain't that right, Mike Brown? Yeah, it is. I pout. I'm a powder. I trip over my own lips sometimes. All right. His wicked wife, Jezebel, killed Naboth and then gave his vineyard to her husband as a gift. He was ecstatic. 
He gave no thought to Naboth or his family. He didn't think about the consequences. He didn't care about people. Didn't care about the relationship. Too many people place undue emphasis on things of the world and too little on people. Jesus said one could not serve God and things. Did I have you put up Matthew 6.24? Nope. Okay. Look up Matthew 6.24. Let's do that real quick. Where's my Bible? You guys doing okay over here? You're not sleeping. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, well, well, thank you. I learned something today. All right. We're... Matthew 6.24. Nope, I didn't do that, babe. Minor. Remember, I lost all mine, and I had to redo them. Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't be selfish and unselfish at the same time. All right. Let's look at King David. Now, he's the one I've thought about a lot. His selfishness caused him to seek fulfillment of his own pleasure with no regard to the cost of getting them. Again, selfish people... Just think about what they want. and st He didn't want a relationship with Bathsheba, except for 10 minutes. But then he got caught, and then some stuff happened. You guys can read the story. His selfish pursuit of pleasure caused him to sin with Bathsheba. His selfishness then led to lies and murder. Read 2 Samuel chapter 11. God did not allow his sin to go unpunished. Again, he wasn't thinking of the cost. See, there's always a cost to being selfish, and you will have to pay it. I lost my spot. He sent the prophet Nathan to expose the sin of David and to announce God's judgment upon him. Like David, far too many people today are selfish, pursuing pleasure with no regard for either consequence or the impact of their actions upon others. Remember how I said selfish people also seek justice? Remember when Nathan came to David and was telling him about the lamb and somebody took it? And he said, I will kill that guy. I will get justice. And he was talking about himself. Then he wasn't so hot on justice, was he? All right. But unselfish people who sometimes act selfish will get humble very quick. Because they know how to react, and we're going to get to that here in a minute. Okay, James and John, remember we talked about selfish people and how selfishness looks even within our church, and how sometimes we've got this, this jealousy or this, this holy competition to outdo one another? Examples of James and John, they were their selfish desire and prestige for themselves. They asked for the most prestigious and powerful powerful position in Jesus's kingdom. Read Matthew chapter 20. Not to help others, but to have their own egos inflated and fulfilled. The rest of the apostles were greatly distressed at their actions, but it seemed that James and John had given little thought to what others thought or how that they were infected. Well, well Jesus, who's, who's going to be at your right hand? Is it going to be me? Or is it going to be Thaddeus or... 
well, what about Judas? You know, that's not what they said, but you can just see that that's what was going on. Well, Jesus, how come, how come Alger gets to sit in the front row? How come Alger, when Eric's gone, how come Alger gets the mic? How come he gets to go up there and talk? How come Alger, what about me? Don't I get to sit at your right hand? Don't I get people to see me? See where I'm going? And look, you can be delivered from that, but you will fight that. Because I still have to fight that. Because you want to do God's will, but yet there's still that nugget in there that says, I just like being in front of people because I want people to see what I have to say because I'm important. And I have to fight that. And you will too. But you can't get help and you can't get over it if you, what's James, is it 3.16 says, confess your sins one to another there that you may find healing. Well, see, you already know that about me. And now I'm just confessing it. So now it just feels so much better. And I know I'm going to get help and it's, it's not going to affect me the way that it used to. So even James and John dealt with this. Now let's look at uh, the older brother and the younger brother from the prodigal son. I'm going to give you, give you a little stuff from this. And Luke, some of this came from you because we had this talk. Thank you. If you don't know Luke, you should talk to him. Very wise. And he's got some deep thoughts. And he gets into the word. So if you need to know something or you need, just go see him. He'll help you out. I promise you. Let's hit the older brother first. Because we don't spend a whole lot of time on him because we think he's the good kid. Well, oh, the older brother, he was just, he served his daddy. Why? An example of one who had no compassion or love for others. Jesus stated to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. While the other brother seemed, the older brother seemed to love his father, his lack of love for his brother showed likewise. Let's stay right here for a minute. Your brother... I don't know why I keep coming to you, but I'm going to use you. Let's use Michelle. Okay, Michelle. You and yours, you got a bunch of sisters. You're all loud and amazing and great. Okay. So you and your fa This works good because your family's farmers, right? Kind of, kind of. Okay. So anyway, who's the oldest? Tom. I have a Tom. Okay, well, let's go with the girls. Who's the oldest girl? Jennifer. And, and you are younger than Jennifer? Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's what happens. Older and younger. So Jennifer is the one working. Do you have a younger sister? Okay, this is going to work better. Who's your younger sister? Amanda. Amanda. Okay, so Amanda and Michelle, they're working at the family farm. They're loving on dad, you know. And Jennifer, right? Who's your? Amanda. Mm. Amanda comes up to dad and says, Dad, I want my stuff that you owe me. I have an inheritance. I want it now. And I'm going to, I just need it. Because I deserve it. See, selfish people think that you owe me something. And that even if I had to work for it, or I did, that I worked enough, so you just need to give it all to me. Now, see, what you don't know about this culture is, first off, it was the younger one coming and asking, not the older, all right? And that by custom, and help me out with this, Luke, if I'm right, when, the, when you would come and ask for your inheritance before you even passed away, that was punishable by death. Am I correct? Thank you. I didn't know that until I talked with him. So your sister could have been killed for even asking or demanding for what is mine. 
Now, the other part of the father was the father could have been outcast and was probably because he even gave in to what his family asked for because father wasn't selfish, because father was thinking long-term. So father gives up his stuff to Amanda, okay? And Amanda takes off. She does her thing, all right? Comes back. Can you imagine your sister being in the pit of sin, having nothing and coming home to father's house and you knowing because we, it says a far off land, but the reality is it was probably like from here to Spiceland. All right. Do you know people in Spiceland? I know people in Spiceland. People in Spiceland know me. So they probably knew the father. The father's going through all this. They knew that Amanda, they knew Amanda's father had given her stuff and they left and was probably outcasting the father, but the father's still looking. And Amanda's out getting all messed up and she's thinking through her selfishness, I need to get back to father's house. I need to become unselfish. So she's, she's naked and she ain't got nothing. And she comes home. Can you imagine not being concerned about her well-being and just the fact, Dad, what about me? I didn't get nothing. Could you do that? See, now we're getting about, can you be unselfish and not think about that? <laughs> okay, sometimes, that's, that's the truth. Sometimes we can get over it, sometimes we can't. But... He, was uns he didn't even care about what his brother would went through. He just cared about, well, now the selfishness comes in. Well, you owe me. Well, you gave to Amanda. Well, I want to party. Well, I want to hang out with my friends. Well, I want to. Well, I want to. Well, I want to. Didn't even care about his brother, but also didn't even care about father. He wasn't even thinking about hanging out with dad, who's the one that did most of the work. And who his dad, before him, done the work. And it's just trickling down. And he's just receiving benefit from what other people's doing. All he's care about is himself. He still wanted stuff over relationship. The Christian may claim to love God. Now here's where it hurts. The Christian may claim to love God. But if... Out of selfishness, he does not love his brother. He, in reality, does not love God. Which then makes you question, okay, this is a little extra. It takes faith and it takes love to love God and to be a Christian, right? Shouldn't Christians love others despite how they get treated? So shouldn't I still care about my sister or my brother no matter what? Still be unselfish to show them God. But if I'm not and I'm saying I don't love my brother or I, or I can only do it halfway, you know, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Is there a sometimes I'm a Christian and sometimes I'm not? We can't do that. So then we have to ask ourselves, and these are the questions I ask me. All right, if I'm not loving my brother, which, is, which, which would be a sin, and then I'm continually not loving my brother... I'm continually sinning. Where then in reality is my relationship with the Lord? And that's a radical thought. Because then you have to start questioning, okay, where am I at? What do I need to do to get back to where I need to be with right standing? 
Are we still following? Are we still tracking? Thank you. So, let's think for a minute now, how do unselfish people think? See, now we've identified how selfish people think and the thoughts that are coming into play. Now we got to see how unselfish people think so we can get ourselves, so we can make that turn to where we can start acting and being more Christ-like and being unselfish. All right, And you are going to have to battle Colossians 3. You don't have to pull that up yet because I'm not quite there. We'll get there here in a minute. All right, How do unselfish people think? Bring all thoughts into captivity. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. King James Version, please. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, the obedience of Christ says, I prefer my brother over myself. The obedience of Christ and the knowledge of Christ and who he is says, I will give my life for Sean even if he won't give his life for me. Philippians 2.2, 2, being united with Christ, having tenderness and compassion, and being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, I didn't get the spirit part in there, and purpose. Unselfish people think how they can better a situation and help someone because compassion moves through them. We don't go into a situation thinking, what can I get out of it? But what can I do to help? All right. And I'm thinking and I'm having to go into my mind and I'm having to fight these thoughts. All right, get out of my mind. Some of you are probably thinking, well, how does that look? Here's how I do it. I get thoughts that come in about my wife or a friend or whatever, and they start to come in, and I just have to block it out. I have to get quiet. I have to stop, and I say, all right, bringing all thoughts into captivity. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Help me with my mind. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my family. Thank and I just start thanking him. Now, what happens is you start to get an attitude of thankfulness. Those things start to come out. And then you've brought into captivity these thoughts. Moving on. Genuine humility. Humility restores and grows relationships. Being humble involves having a true perspective about ourselves in relationship to God. Meaning, I know where I stand with God and I know how He feels about me. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Romans 12, 3. You can put that on the screen. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Unselfish people think, now here's the hard one, and I've had to do this, and I'm still going to have to do it, but this is probably what some of you even today need to hear. And that is, unselfish people think, how can I restore or rebuild the relationship without worrying about an apology or justification from the other person? Right. See, when I do something wrong to somebody, 
or maybe it happens both ways. Maybe me and Chad get into an argument or a discussion or something happens and he wrongs me and I wrong him. But see, the unselfish person goes to Chad and says, brother, I am sorry. Forgive me. How can I rebuild this relationship? How can I build this bridge and make it to what it needs to be? That's what the unselfish person does. Without going in and expecting and saying, I'm saying this, and you wait, you're like, you wait. And you're waiting for his apology because you know he wronged you. That's not what selfish, that's not what unselfish people do. We go in and we rebuild. Okay, how can I do it? And it doesn't matter how. Money, time, effort, family, whatever the issue is. Unselfish people say, I'm going to make this right, whatever it costs me. But that's hard to do. It's not easy. Because your flesh gets in and wants to say the selfish things. What about me? What about my justification? What about making it? What if it cost me? It costs Jesus everything. We just celebrated Christmas and the birth of Jesus. We want to see people saved. God sent Jesus, yes, to save people, but with one thing on his mind. I want relationship with my kids. That's why Jesus came. Because God cares about relationship. And so does Jesus. Prayer and love of scripture are necessary as well. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. Psalms 119 verse 36. The unselfish person thinks before reacting. He or she has spent time in God's word and knows how to respond to a situation based on what the word says. Knowing and I'm sure this, will, this ties in with probably keeping your love on. Knowing I don't need an immediate response. See, when I spend time in the Word and I'm unselfish with my sleep, and I get up early, or I stay up late, and I dig into the Word, and I study, and I read, and I get alone with Jesus, I know what He thinks about a situation when I'm in it. Right. See, I was taught things from my father and you were and you were and my son was. And when my son is doing something or he's in the heat of it, he already knows he has instant access to think, what has my dad taught me? But because of our selfish impulse, we want reaction now. But the unselfish person knows what the word says and is okay with saying, I need to step back for a minute. How do I need to handle this, Lord? What do I need to say? Oh, Nothing. Bless you, brother. I'll talk to you later. And I walk away. Or whatever it is, you know what God and how Jesus is going to react. And every situation is accounted for in the world, in the word. Love covers a multitudes of sin, including selfishness. If we are truly to devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12.10 we cannot be selfish. Having the attitude of Christ to demonstrate tenderness and compassion all of those, with all of those we come in contact with. Colossians 3, and it missed it somehow. I think it's Colossians 3.13, if you'll bring that up. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against you or against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm going to read what my version says. 
because it says it just a little different in the New Living Translation. It says, You must make allowance for each other's fault and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I like that it says, You must make allowance for your brother's faults. See, all of you have faults. I have them. You all see them. I see some of yours. But the word directly tells me I'm to make an allowance for that. And the unselfish person does. The unselfish person seeks to understand and not to be understood. So when I get into an argument with whoever, or I'm in a situation, or we just did Big Tip Sunday a couple weeks ago, you're all getting ready to go to the restaurant. So you get there, and your waitress, it's taking 20 minutes to get to your table. She's slow. You don't get your drinks on time. Your food's cold. And you're getting ready to gripe and complain. Well, I, just, because I'm paying good money and my time is important and I want to go do this. And see, you're seeking to be understood. The one who seeks to understand thinks, I wonder how her day's going. I wonder what's going on. Because I bet I know that God didn't create her to be lazy and forget about people. I wonder, maybe I need to ask, are you okay? Maybe she had a fight with her husband. Maybe her kid's sick. Maybe her kid's in the hospital. Maybe she's just having a bad day. Seek to understand and not to be understood. Okay. So unselfish people, how, how again do they think? They don't keep score. They don't get jealous. They don't lose faith. And one that we'll, we'll end with, and we've got a couple more things to hit and we'll be out of here, is that selfish people always have hope. I'm, I'm sorry, unselfish. Thank you, Alger, for making that funny face. Too. <laughs> As I looked at him and I said that, he was like, huh? <laughs> I was making sure you was awake. Unselfish people have hope. Okay, the father in the story of the prodigal son and the older brother. See, the prodigal father had hope. He was unselfish. He was always hoping because, and you can see it, he put action to his hope. He put action to his faith. He put action to his unselfishness. He was always looking but he never went to where his son was to get him. Have you ever wondered, well, why didn't he just... Because we think, oh, he was in a far off land. Well, if my son was in Spiceland getting in trouble, or your son or your daughter, many of you are ready to like, I'm going to go get him. Maybe we should think first before we go do that. Because see, the father was looking. He was unselfish. He had hope and he had faith, but he never left his home to go get his son. See, he let God do God's part. And then he was ready when it was his time. Because when he seen his son coming, then he took off after him. Then the unselfish father, because the selfish father would have said, I'm glad you're home, but man, mm, 
You spent all your stuff, <laughs> you know. You're grounded or whatever. That's what the unselfish, or that's what the selfish father would say. But the unselfish father goes, I'm glad you're home. He says, he tells Amanda, hey, Amanda's home. Bring her out a ring. It was Amanda, right? And then what happens is Michelle's like, yes, she's home. And she comes running because she's the unselfish sister. And she comes running and she hugs and squeezes and put, she doesn't even go get a ring. She says, here, here's my ring because I'm concerned with you and I'm glad you're back. Maybe you need to go talk to your sister. I don't know. <laughs> but that's what unselfish people do. They run and they're ready to receive people back in. And, the, and they have hope. See, I have hope that my brother and my sister will get to where they need to be with the Lord. Amen. But the selfish part of me this week wanted me, wanted to let them know what I thought of them. Wanted to say, you don't deserve. Or you're getting what you deserve, is what the selfish Mike said. But see, the unselfish Mike has hope. And he knows that there's something great within them. And I wasn't selfish. And I gave and I loved and I hugged. Because that's what we do as unselfish people. Another cure for selfishness is to know where our treasure is. The Christian holds the things of this world loosely because he is laying up treasures in heaven. He knows it is more blessed to give than receive and lives according to the truth that God loves a cheerful giver. The unselfish person is thinking eternally and long term and not for immediate satisfaction. Meaning I'm thinking of the ones that are in this room and in this city and in my family that are lost. And how can I let God show his love and his unselfishness through me that they may see him? Because stuff don't matter. It's our family. It's relationship. Because God is about relationship. Jesus was about relationship. And I need to covet these relationships. Okay. All right, so are you ready for some practical application? Okay, appreciate your grace with me. We're almost done. As Lynn would say, one last thing. Is that what he would say, one last thing? Another rabbit trail. Okay, all right, and you can write some of these down, but I, I prayed and I asked the Lord, all right, what are some practical things we could do? I've given, I'm actually going to email notes again like I did the last time so you can have all the scriptures and you can look them up. Please look them up. Please dig in. See, I have, and Tom and Eric and Shelly and, and all these people who get up here to share the word, they are offering you food. You cannot leave here today or any other day and say, I'm not, I didn't get fed. Now, you can, but it was because of your choice. So you might have a favorite food. I love pizza. I love shrimp. Okay, My kids love chicken nuggets and pizza. But if I fed my kids chicken nuggets and pizza for every day of their life, they would live, but would they be healthy? I have probably served a plate of steamed broccoli and vegetables and cauliflower. Is it, yeah, well, Charlene likes it. <laughs> 
okay? It's good for you. It's good for me. It ain't fun to eat, all right? But we can't come in, and I'm stealing this from Tom because we've had this discussion before. We can't come in here expecting all the time to get the food that I want, that I like. You don't do that for your own kids. You cook a meal and you put it out. And if Isaac says, I don't like that, sorry, bud. Then sometimes we'll let him get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Other times he don't get to eat because he chose not to eat the food that was prepared. Because his trust is in us to serve the food. And then our trust is in God to give food to the people who are sharing to put it out there that we trust that it's food that we need to eat on. And then take it home, might only munch on it one piece at a time, but eat on it. And then get in the Word and dig it out. And was Mike right? Was Mike wrong? Was he this, that? And then come tell me, because I'm still learning, and Tom's still learning, and Eric's still learning, and Shelly and Chad and every one of us that get up here. That was a side note. That was the rabbit trail. Here you go. So here's some natural things that you can do. Number one, obviously, prefer your brother. Well, how does that look? Volunteer to help in children's or bounce house ministries. Not babysitting. Ministries. 12 salvations. Did you hear that? 12 salvations in the children's ministry alone. Amen. Amen. Yes. 12 young kids got saved. That is legacy. That's being unselfish because some people were back there unselfishly giving their life to these kids. Man. All right. Give some extra money you may have. How do I do that? Well, y'all go to the gas station. Y'all get candy bars. Y'all get Coke. Y'all buy gum. I do. I see some of you in there. Y'all get a coffee. Well, just, all right, God, who do I buy coffee for? Who else can I do this for? And ask and give it. And do. We all have extra, a little, that we can do something with. And then it, over time, it gets easier and easier and easier. But if you don't start somewhere, it won't start happening. Okay. Now, give it to them. You might see the homeless guy, Walmart or wherever. Give it to them, and then don't dictate to them where the money should go. Don't just give out of your access. Because sometimes we only give when we think, oh, I got a bonus. I'm going to give from that. God doesn't always want you to give from your just access extra that comes in. Go ahead, Ashley. <laughs> excess. <laughs> That's going to stick with you for a while. <laughs> All right. Now. Tithe regularly. Okay? Don't just tithe when you think you can or, well, I don't feel good today, so I'm going to tithe because I don't want to spend it at Los Amigos or wherever you go. Or I would rather have this or I'm going to spend extra on Christmas and maybe I'll make up for it in two weeks in my tithe. No, tithe regularly. Amen. Regularly. Okay? That's a practical application. Start tithing more than 10% if you are a regular tither. Tithe 12%. Doesn't sound like much, but it's a step in the right direction to start doing something extra. Help someone without, even, without them asking you. All right? So I need to help my wife. You need to help your wife. 
help your kids. Call up somebody randomly and say, hey, um, need some help with anything? I got the day off. I had, um, never mind, we won't go there. <laughs> Ask somebody, turn the TV off. Because when you turn the TV off, you got all kinds of time. All right. All of us have got a favorite show, or most of us, that we like to sit and watch. If we turned it off and didn't bother with it, we would have at least 30 minutes, or if it's a good show, one of the other ones, we would have an hour to go do something besides sit there and vegetate. Turn the TV off, and I guarantee if you do that, the Lord's going to download something into your mind. I need to go help, blah, 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 blah. And you'll go do it. Read to your kids. Play a game. Fathers. Fathers, put your kids to bed. This just isn't your wife's job. Read to them. Do a puzzle. One of the things that's hard for me to do sometimes is play with my kids what they want to play. Well, I want to play with your Silverhawk toys. Well, Dad, I would rather play with, you know, my new, my buddy doll that I got from Grandma or whatever it is. My son got this doll. You remember my buddy? Yeah. He got this. He is carrying it around. That's his buddy. All right. It's from the 80s. He, that's his favorite gift. The selfish part of me wants to say, Oh, you're going to make me look weird and my son's going to look weird with a doll. No, the unselfish part of me says you're going to be a good father. Because you love that little thing. And I think it's even back there with him, isn't it? Somebody, he's got got his buddy with him. All right? Be okay with some of that stuff. Encouraging. All right, where are we at here? All right. Here's a good one for all of you. Seek to restore a relationship, even if you were the one wronged. And as we pray, as we get out of here, I'm going to ask that the Lord show you someone that you need to go back to and restore a relationship with. It might not happen right away. You might get rejected. But we just seen it with, we're talking about how God is a good father. He's about relationship, keeping your love on, build connections, radical, think outside the box, get connected, be with people, evangelism, going out and touching people's lives, being unselfish. We all have relationships we have damaged. So now God wants us to be unselfish and fix that and go with it in the mindset of, I am going to fix this. With the Lord's help, whether or not I get an apology or not. Try this. Pray and don't ask God for nothing. Just talk to him. Hey, God, what are you doing today? Hey, Jesus, what's going on? What's heaven look like today? Maybe he's about to answer us. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, what's your phone number? (laughs) 1-800-ASK-ME. Okay. What about this? Why don't you pray for other people what they need and not pray for what you need? See, we all sit down to pray, and the first thing is, we still, I kind of start out, hey, God, I love you. It's been a great day. Thanks for waking me up. Help me. Help me. 
help me, help me, help me. What if we said, hey, help Chris Broyles today. Give him a good day. Bless him as he drives and may his heart just be happy. Because once you start saying someone's name and you start praying for him, good things will come. And you can start blessing them. Pray for somebody else. I'm going to leave you with this and we're going to pray. It's a little saying. It'll be in my notes when I email it. It says, selfish behavior is not necessary to get what you always, to get what you want. Here is a thought. What is wrong with this? Somehow this did not work the way I wanted it to. All right, I'm going to try this anyway. Here's a thought for you. If everyone was putting another needs before their own, wouldn't that mean that someone else could be putting your needs first? This is how a marriage should function. I know that my life is a lot more fulfilling when I'm not obsessed with only doing what I want to do or love. I know that my life is a lot more fulfilling when I'm not obsessed with doing only what I want and what I love. Selfish behavior is not necessary to getting what you want. Here's a thought for you. Everyone, if everyone was putting another needs before their own, wouldn't that mean that somebody else could be putting your needs first? Now that seems simple because once you hear that and you say that, you're like, but what if they're not? Well, my trust is in God and that His thoughts are on me and that He is going to make sure that what I need is taken care of. And if, if you start, just think if everyone in this room started putting each other's needs first, just in this room, nobody in here would want for anything. That's why Acts 2 revival worked, because they were unselfish. We want Acts 2 revival and still be selfish, and it won't happen. I have to think about what Heidi and Rob need, and Adrian and Tabitha. I have to think about what they want before I think about what I want. I have to think about what Michelle wants before I want. What Charlene wants. What Mark wants. I need to think about them before I think about me. And if I do that and I trust God, then he is putting it on somebody's heart to be thinking about, well, what does Mike need? Well, what does Ashley need? Okay, I need, If I think about her needs first, eventually she'll think about my needs. You know what I mean? That sounds kind of funny, but it's the truth. If I think and I put her first, it will eventually come back around. And most of the time, what I need is really just selfish anyway. Agree? You guys can stand up. You got anything you want to say? All right. Let's pray and get out of here. And it's only 1223. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Touchdown. Stand up, Ash. And only like eight people left. That's good. We'll take that. <laughs> yes, that was a good day. I will send my notes out so you have them on email. I'll also try to post them on Facebook because there's a lot of scripture on there. Uh, but thank you again for your grace. And uh, hold your hands out. Let's hold our hands out because the Lord's really going to help us. And He's the Holy Spirit's just going to place something on you.
and it's opened our minds. Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you. You are amazing and we love you. And it is impossible to honor you, Holy Spirit, without honoring Jesus and without honoring the Father. Because when we honor you, it honors them. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to every one of us. Open our hearts and open our minds that we may hear you clearly. That that one or two people that we need to go to to start building relationship back where we have damaged and caused hurt, that you will place that person in our mind right now. And that you will place compassion in our heart right now for this person and for these people. And we will mend relationships and we will not seek our own way. We will not even seek to be understood, but we will seek to understand. And you will give us grace that there will be a download and an overwhelming flood of grace that will come upon us over the next few weeks. That we will start being and acting unselfish. That we will act and react and respond the way that you do, God. That we will fall in love with with the word that we will get in and dig in and that it will take root within our own lives. And Lord, we ask you to go before us, even to these people where we're going to repair a relationship and that you would go and even soften their hearts. Lord, that you would go and even start doing, you always do your part and give us the strength to do ours. Just go and soften the hearts. Your word says that you do change the hearts of men. So go work before us. Send angels and peace to the places that we're going. Be with us as we go about our day, that we will be unselfish to our waiters and waitresses, that we will be unselfish to our wives and our husbands and to our children, and that we will not seek our own way, but that we will seek your way. And that everyone will see you, that they will see Jesus in us. And that revival will continue to grow. And that revival culture, a radical culture of unselfishness will take place in Newcastle like no one has ever seen. In your name we pray. Amen.